If you would please turn to Isaiah chapter 1. going to continue our discussion here in Isaiah, and our goal, my goal today is uh, discuss, finish up chapter 1 and discuss part of chapter 2, and see what we can uh, pull from these pieces of Scripture as we read and study. Isaiah chapter 1, we've already discussed the first part of chapter 1. Uh, it's, it parallels very closely Deuteronomy 32. I'm convinced this is, this is not accidental. This is entirely on purpose. Um, that, the, that the writer, right, that this, this whole speech is basically a let's, let's remember the agreement we had in Deuteronomy. And now we're going to talk about that and how you have broken it. And so I think that to, to me is, is fairly clear. And I'm, I'm quite convinced of that. Starting in verse 21, we, we switch. We switch out of Deuteronomy 32 mode, and we will continue to talk about the nation, uh, also in chapter 2 as well. And so let's start by doing some reading in Isaiah chapter 1. We'll start verse 21 and through 31. How the faithful city has become a whore, she who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause do not come to them. Therefore the Lord declares, Yahweh of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together. And those who forsake Yahweh shall be consumed, for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen, for you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water, and the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. Today, once again, we're going to we're going to talk about this scripture, and I'm not going to monologue. That's not my intention today. What I want us to do is I want to think about what's going on in this particular passage. All right? And from a just general standpoint, we've got in, in, entirely bad news. All right? We've got entirely bad news. If you look at verse 24, Therefore the Lord declares Yahweh of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. All right? Who are we, who are we talking about? We're talking about God. He is the Yahweh of hosts. That's Yahweh of armies. All right? That's what we're talking about here. Hosts, armies, armies of angels. All right? The mighty one of Israel. So we're setting up ourselves as mighty. And then he says, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. Who's the enemy? Who's the foe? It is unfortunately Judah. Right? 
often the people outside of Israel are God's foes. And when that's the case, then the people of God can go, we'll be okay. Not in this case. The foes are inside the city. The foes are inside the country. And God is saying, I'm making you my foes. I and my armies, we will ultimately defeat you. All right? And so this is whom this, this condemnation is against. And so the city, all right? And of course, the city is not just the city. It's representative of the people, right? I mean, the city is just, you know, buildings and walls. This is talking about the, the people of the southern kingdom at this point. We should think about why. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend a few minutes. I want you to look through this passage, 21 through 31. And I want you to tell me, all right, what are the main ideas, other than the fact that God has made Israel or made Judah his foe, Judah and Benjamin, all right? Spend a few minutes, and then we'll talk about it. What are the main ideas other than that? Feel free to discuss together. She's awesome. That's the answer.
All right. What do we think? It's been about three minutes. after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. Sounds familiar. Today's news commentary. Okay. Those in power should be doing what? Justice. Taking care of their people. Okay. Justice here defined as what? Taking care of their people is certainly part of it, right? And here, do not bring, they do not bring justice to the fatherless. Orphans, right? And the widow's cause does not come to them, right? Instead, they are seeking things for their own self. Yeah, commentary that is very applicable to today. It's also oppression because widows and orphans are sort of by definition powerless. Mm -hmm. So they're being taken advantage of. Yes. That's not what you're supposed to do. That's not what you're supposed to do. Absolutely not. So let's, let's talk about that. All right, justice and righteousness. Here, what does it mean to be just and righteous? Here, if you were to define, let's say we don't know what the meaning of that word is. They will definitely go hand in hand. I mean, justice is, yeah. is only as God sees it. He says, I'm going to restore your judges at first. Okay. You're going to be called a city full of righteousness. So that's my question. Based on this, yeah. how does God see it? Right? How do we, let's define those terms, justice and righteousness, by context. Yeah. Um, well, my definition of justice would be, uh, we'll see if what the dictionary says, but the proper administration of uh, punishment towards evildoers and, and their crimes. Would that be correct? That's the question. <laughs> right? Now, for Americans, right, we're like, what's ju- Lady Justice? She's blind. She's blind, administering right and wrong. All right? Is this what it's talking about? Yeah. So it's, it's talking about a transformation of, of good to bad in some way, right? They, they knew what they were supposed to be doing and were doing it, but are no longer doing it. 
uh, it's definitely the there. They yeah. had that knowledge. They knew what the two were. Mm -hmm. well, not to sound redundant, but justice means doing what's right. I mean, if you okay. What's right? Do what? What's right? What's well, right is to take right. care of the fathers, take care of the widows. Okay. Yes. Being faithful to what God's To be faithful. I, I, because we're Christians, we believe in fiat justice, yeah. I guess. So right is what God says it is. Okay. And so they know what God has told them to do, and they're not doing that. Right. Okay. And here, particularly in terms of content, all right, what is the thing? All right. Now, let's talk with a. When you're talking about sex in the Bible, all right, when we're talking about Assyrian sex, we're not talking about sex. What are we talking about? Infidelity. Infidelity. What would it mean for a nation to be, to have infidelity? It's not sex. It's primarily usually an idolatry thing, right? And it's also it's an idolatry thing mixed with a trust thing. And this will definitely come out in Isaiah, where the nation is instead of trusting God, we're gonna trust, we're gonna get an alliance with Egypt, and they're gonna be able to stand help us stand up against Assyria, right? Which does not work out as it turns out. All right. So so harlot or harlotry are is not sex here. It is idolatry. Which is betrayal. And, and, be, and betrayal. Unfaithfulness. Right? It is sexual in the sense of uh, the nation is God's wife. Right? And when the God, and when's God's wife is unfaithful to him, it is harlotry. It is infidelity. Okay. Okay, so there's definitely this, and it is a definitely a good to bad situation. She was a faithful wife. Now she is not a faithful wife. Okay. And we also mentioned, right, uh, helping, helping generally. You could say helping the weak. All right. And this is meant to encompass exactly what you said. Orphans. All right, and widows. All right, or even, not necessarily orphans, children that don't have a father, right? Because this is a very patriarchal society. Males have the power and the influence. If they don't have a father, they're at a major disadvantage. Same with the widows, all right? Okay, so helping the weak. What else can we say about defining what it means to be righteous, all right? Now, there's the general, we do believe in fiat righteousness and justice in the sense of God defines what is right, all right? Anything else in terms of content here? What else can we say? Yeah. We're doing right being in the context of them following the Mosaic law and you know the old covenant, all those stipulations and stuff. It would certainly, and I think we can put that in here. That's certainly, at the very least, sitting behind this as an assumption. You're breaking the law. All right. And I'm glad we got on this discussion because. And I'm, I'm glad what you said what you did earlier, Jeff, in terms of often when we think of just the word simply justice, all right? We think of this person did something bad, they deserve the bad to happen to them. That's how we define often justice, all right? 
And ultimately, we can blame this, as we love to do as Protestants, we can blame this on the Middle Ages. Not entirely, but partially. All right, uh, where do we get our word justice? You know this. Use or justitia? Yeah. All right. Now, if you just take this I and you just turn it into a J, justitia, you've got, we, our English word for justice comes directly out of Latin, which means anything in terms of what's happening in the, in the Western world and in Roman law would affect us. And so when we think about justice, we tend to think of it in a legal framework. All right. This is problematic, all right? So just imagine just lots of middle-aged thinking, all right? When you get back to the New Testament, all right? And then you go back to the Old Testament. Where are these ideas coming from? They're not coming from Latin, all right? And they're not coming from the, local, the Roman legal tradition. They predate the Roman legal tradition, all right? And so the New Testament's going get, to get its idea from... From the Old Testament, right? All right, so. Of course, the New Testament is not written in Latin. It's not going to have that baggage of justice, all right? It's primarily going to be built on an Old Testament definition. And the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament definition is way broader than just, you do right, this is what you deserve. You do wrong, this is what you deserve, all right? Often our doctrine of justification can be construed that way. All right? But when you think about the Old Testament in general, in terms of righteousness, it's not that. I mean, that's part of it, clearly. But that is not it. There is a lot of positive things of, for example, um, following the law, but also, in general, helping the weak, which is, of course, part of the law. Right? And so it's broader. Yeah? I'm just trying to understand. So would you say that, like, charity will be part of justice? Yes. All right? But that's weird to say in English, because we don't think of justice as charity. Justice is separate than charity, right? But for them, justice would not be separate than charity. Actually, charity would be a part of following the law, which would be a part of righteousness and justice. And, and it, it's, it's linguistics. It's all just, what, what word are we using, all right? If we use the word justice always to talk about our court system, all right? Typically speaking, we don't look at our court system and go, our court system is about basically making sure all the orphans get what they need to get and are protected, and all the widows get what they need and they're protected, and actually our courts don't function that way. Our courts are not, generally speaking, proactive, right? Our courts are reactive, right? Because they're judging based on what? All right, and based on what law? Who determines that law? Right. Primarily Congress, right? Congress, Supreme Court, right? They're not the the courts are not supposed to make up new stuff, right? But they do, sure. They're not supposed to make up new stuff, right? They're judging based on the law of the land, um, all right. And so that our courts don't work this way, all right? Their their idea of, of you could say justice is very, very much like the idea of goodness according to what God wants, right? You could determine it something like that. Uh, has anybody read Plato's Republic? One thing that's fascinating about it, and this is just a side note, I'm in a book club going through Plato's Republic right now. Um, Pl Plato, all right, 
that book is all about what justice is. All right? You do not get our law court vision, version of justice at all in Plato. That's not at all what that book's about. And so if you, even if you're reading Plato, they're, always, they're arguing about what justice is. And you're like, what? Well, it's because the English word justice has so much stuff into it. All right? And so, of course, Plato might affect things later, but probably not the New Testament a great deal. Because the New Testament is primarily going to be written on, or based on the Old Testament. Side note over. So in terms of justice, all right, so in terms of better, let's not talk about justice. Let's talk about righteousness, all right? Because righteousness in English does not have that very narrow meaning, all right? We talk about righteousness. For them, righteousness was a lack of corruption, right? As, as Chip was pointing out, all right, your rebels and your companions are thieves. They love a bribe and run after gifts. That's wrong, all right? Righteousness is not doing bad things just to get money, all right? From a positive standpoint, it's actually going and helping others, helping the widows and helping the orphans, all right? It's also definitely going to be not spiritual harlotry, all right? Where do we see harlotry, spiritual harlotry or idolatry here in this passage? Because it's here. Other than just the uh, first verse, 21. May not be obvious. Don't look for the word idolatry. Look for the idea. <laughs> they shall be ashamed of the oaks. This is verse 29. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. It's, this is absolutely idolatry talk. All right? Because um, it's, what's it, what's it talking about? You should be ashamed. I should be ashamed of a garden in my backyard. Okay. Okay, clearly not what it's talking about. All right? Actually, my garden is fine. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of my garden. Um, no fruit yet, but it's going well. That's not what this. What is this? This is worshiping trees. This is Gross. sacred groves, right? This is totally a ancient world thing. All right? Ooh, this grove is really cool. There must be some gods here. All right? This was a thing in ancient Canaanite religion. This is what they were doing. This is totally idolatry talk. All right? For they will be ashamed of the trees. I don't know if it's actually oaks, but you know, you'll be ashamed of the, the trees that you desired. You shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. And then, a very clever switch. You're going to be like a tree. Which often we think, hey, that's, that's good. No. You're going to be like a tree whose leaf withers and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender and his work a spark. All right. A tree's not strong when it's dried up and used for fire. All right. It's, you're going to be like a tree, not like Psalm 1. Right? A tree planted by water, flourishing. All right? Not that kind of tree. You're going to be like a tree that hasn't had water in a long time and it is really good for making fires. All right? Not, not a positive image here. All right? Any other thoughts specifically on this? Yeah? This word that just is kind of lost in my mind is. Loyalty. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you, my opinion, 
It's like the greatest human virtue. Um, but they're not. Right. And that's the problem. That's kind of the problem. They're not loyal to their spouse. And then internally, they're not loyal to their people, right? Politicians, good politicians, going to be loyal to their people, not taking, not taking bribes. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I just want to say I notice it's not all bad news. Um, verse yes. Twenty-five through twenty-seven. There's remnant language. God mm-hmm. will purge you, but He's going to keep the good growing. That's right. Yeah. Remnant language, meaning, um, is God going to wipe, wipe out the entire nation? No. Actually, we discussed this last time, so it's very overlap with the previous, uh, previous paragraph, right? God's not going to destroy the nation. He will purge the nation. And it will end up with a righteous remnant, right? And so the purpose, right, and this is all throughout the Old Testament and certainly shows up as a major theological point in the New. Well, the purpose of discipline, all right? is ultimately repentance. The purpose of discipline is righteousness. Right? We don't get disciplined from because we are his people, all right? We don't get disciplined by God, all right, as purely punitive. We are disciplined by God for our own good, all right? So that we would turn. And when this comes to a nation, that will mean discipline the nation so that some within that nation will survive and be righteous. Right? And follow him. Very consistent theme throughout Scripture into the New Testament, certainly here as well. The remnant is a good call out here. I'm with you on that. One other thing I'll point out, um, because you were mentioning earlier, let's look at verse 25. I will raise my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lie and remove your alloy. You know, we talk about the the discipline discussion, all right? Um, When we're talking about metallurgy, Right? This is this is a this is a harsh process. This is fire. This is burning away. This is a, a very similar analogy that Paul uses. Right? What are you building on? All right. Well, there's going to be a fire. All right. And whatever's wood and stubble, that's going to go away. Right? Whatever's precious stones and metals, that'll still be there. Same and same basic idea here. He's going to purge your bad metals, take all the bad metals out, and you'll have clean metals. The lie here. Um, actually not used in metallurgy, this is an analogy. All right? it's, you don't, you're not going to use lye as a part of purging metals. Ancient lye was basically render animal fat mixed with, um, mix with ashes, all right? and then you can use that to like clean raw wool. All right? <laughs> you, you, you would not take this and smear this all over your body. Uh, this, this would not be a, that, that kind of a cleaning agent. Um, and so they would like, use it in processing a realm of, like, of wools and stuff, not with metallurgy. It's an analogy. He will purge you as with lye. All right? You're going to be cleaned as your wool would be cleaned with lye. You're going to be cleaned in a metallurgic process. You're going to burn, and it's going to hurt but a remnant will survive to go with that. There's some great news, though, in chapter 2. So if you would turn to Isaiah 2, and this is where we'll end today. Short section. Just the first few verses, 1 through 5. 
It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's start just by... The, the image in verse 2. It shall come to pass in latter days. All right, Not necessarily in the end times. This is just le- not now, later. All right, That the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. What is the image? All right. What's the significance of a mountain being lifted up higher? Yeah. Sorry, this is slightly unrelated. Um, Bring it up. Well, it is related. Immediately, my mind went to um, Genesis, in which you know God blesses Abraham and says, um, "All nations will be blessed through you." So I'm kind of seeing connections. To yes, that. you should. And I'm also seeing this as a final eschatological, um, you know, kind of prophetic where uh, the final, you know, Mount Zion, you know, God's high and holy mountain, mm-hmm. so, you know, Mount Zion symbolizing, you know, the, the future of, you know, where God's people is going to be. Okay. Does that make any sense? Actually, I, one of the, the major questions I was going to ask about this, one of the two, was when is this? And so when is this? All right. We'll get to that in a second. First, what is the image? All right. What is the significance of a mountain being raised higher? Yeah. They normally go up to worship, right? So if it's yeah. the highest one, then that's like, he's the highest God. Yes. That's right, that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... The significance of the highest, the high part, right, is where do you go meet God? All right? Where did God appear and give the law? Top of a mountain. All right? Where does God build his house? Top of a mountain. Okay? Now let's raise the mountain up higher. All right? So therefore, it's, it's like an image of how do you get closer to God? Well, where's the, where's the place where you can go to get closest to God? All right? Mount Zion, the highest place. The mountain's going to be lifted up. That's totally the way to go. Place to go. You look around. What's ah yes up there, right? So that's definitely the image. Now, let's take Revelation. All right, let's take Revelation. What comes down and sits on the high mountain? All right, the holy city is the mother of us all. And this gets to the timing. When is this? Who is the mother of us all? The holy city. Well, it's kind of like on a hill far 
already, but not yet. Who's, who is the city? Who is the city? Who is the city's representative of a nation? Who's the nation? Who's the bride? What's that? The lamb's wife. The lamb's wife. The church. Right. Absolutely. And so in terms of fulfillment, all right, when is this? Well, this is clearly not then, right? This is talking about future from Isaiah's perspective. They're looking forward to a time when, okay, right now, who's going to come to Jerusalem to get the wisdom of God? No one. It's a terrible place at this point in time, right? It's filled with bribes and... Uh, no. Worst, worst place to go to get wisdom, all right? Because it's spiritually adulterous. All right, so not then. However, there will be a time when, from a perspective, it won't be the case. All right, it won't be the case. Where actually Jerusalem will be cleaned. Where actually Jerusalem will be exalted, all right? And powerful, and God will be with his people, all right? And then people from not just the surrounding nation, but from the Gentiles will all be coming to God and His people. Alright? And so, I think ultimately the answer is, when does this happen? Is it's already happening. Alright? It's happening within the church. You've even got, for example, if you turn to John 4.22, and we will have to end very quickly. If you go to John 42, for example, you've got Jesus, all right, talking with a um, a woman of questionable godliness. You got in verse 4.16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered to him and said, I have no husband. Yeah, we'll start in verse uh, John 4.16. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, oh, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers, correct, Right? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say, all right, she knows he's a Jew. All right, you say, assuming he's going to give the standard answer, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus does not give her the standard answer, right? Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain in Samaria nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Not good. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Judeans. All right, Jews. That word comes from Judah. All right, the kingdom of Judah, which is where Jerusalem was. All right, salvation is from the Jews. It's from that specific area. All right, where Jerusalem is. All right. Salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So in other words, He delocalizes it. You've got in Isaiah chapter 2, it's Zion, it's the city, 
it's this particular mountain being lifted up. Jesus delocalizes it. No. It's not about Jerusalem or even about your mountain. Clearly not. All right. It's not it. It's actually God is worshiping, looking for worshipers everywhere who worship in spirit and in truth. And so we see in the New Testament, as New Testament theology develops, right? This is the place ultimately of the church. So in terms of time, when is Isaiah chapter 2? Hey, it's absolutely now, all right? Because it is now that the Gentiles are coming to God. And that it's us, right? Us Gentiles. It's now that the Gentiles are coming to Yahweh to learn what is true and what is right. All right? So it's actually through the church that Isaiah 2, what happened? Final thought, Isaiah 2, verse 5. And this is the question I'm going to leave you with, and I want you to think about all right, Isaiah 2, he's gone through it talking about, all right, this is future, this is going to happen. All right, this is going to happen. All right, it doesn't say that God is going to depend on them and happen. It's just God's going to do it. All right, and the very last verse, all right, is, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. As we know, all right, because... Theologically, we know that God is sovereign. God does not need any one of us to accomplish what He wants to accomplish. That being said, God uses us. All right. Throughout the first verses of this, this is not about, okay, Judea, get your weapons ready. You need to get yourself prepared so that you can be in this state. No, this is God doing it. There will come a day where this is going to happen. This is God going to be doing it. And here's my question for you. All right, What is your place in that? God does not need you. All right, God, God does not need you. But after this comes a command, an exhortation to the people. Alright, God's going to do this. Now you walk in the light of the Lord. What's your place in it? Alright? I don't want an answer from you, though you can give me your answer if you want to later. All right? I want you to think about it. What is your place in it? God's working. God's going to do His thing. You can be with Him, or you can be against Him. All right. And if you're against Him, you'll lose. All right. And if you're with Him, you can be guaranteed that you'll win. What is your spot? All right. What is your role? And it may be more than one role. All right. What's your place in that? Find your place. In this, because this is happening right now, all right. And as non-Jews, we are all we are all proof of this very exact thing, all right. We are all Gentiles who have come to the bride of Christ and said, "Please let us in," and we were let in, all right. So, what's your spot? What's your place? Think about it. And on that note, let's, let's be dismissed. Think about that today as you pray. Think about that throughout the week. What is going to be your place? doesn't need to be big. doesn't need to be flashy. doesn't even necessarily need to be overtly public because a lot of our place is just in the privacy of prayer. But there are things that we must do. What is your place going to be? Okay. Chip, will you close some prayer today?
Gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this day, this place. We worship you in truth. Be with us as we go in the sanctuary. Receive our prayers. Accept our songs of praise. And deliver us your message. Just then we pray on that. Amen. Amen.